You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's met Cutter. Yeah! What's up, Downers? Welcome to episode two of season four of the podcast, which is now more than a podcast. If you hadn't figured that out yet, it's also a video show. You could call it a TV show if you wanted to. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel, and that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to grow that and have people pay attention on there and, and watch how we do the show. Uh, we do it right out of my garage, and I'm going to do this every week. It's live. It's Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and I'm going to do it on Emory's Facebook page, sometimes other artists, other people's Facebook pages, but uh, we're on Emory's page tonight, so thank you, Emory fans, for supporting all the stuff we do creatively, podcasts, Emory's music, other music, awesome. This stuff is really rolling. The show is picking up some steam, is growing, we're doing video, I love it, having the time of my life, Um, and as you know, if you hadn't picked up on this, I like to do stuff other than music too. So this season, I'm going to keep it every other week. So had Norma Jean on last week, Corey from Norma Jean. And then every other week, I'm going to do something that's really not music related, just personal interest. So I'm doing this podcast so that I can learn and explore stuff that I want to learn and explore. And uh, I invite you guys, obviously, to tag along and uh, digest new information and new learning with me. So that's what we're going to do. Only one plug I want to give before we get started here, and that is if you go to breakitdownpod.com, go to my website, there's a link there where you can just bookmark an Amazon. You can click through to Amazon, bookmark the link, support the show by doing all your Amazon or online shopping through that link. It gives me a kickback. It's 4% to be exact of anything you buy there. I get the credit for it and it doesn't cost you anything that you weren't already spending. So yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. So today what we're going to be doing on the show is talking to a podcaster that I listen to regularly and like a lot. His name is Jason Stapleton. Jason, thank you for being here. You bet, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, Jason is, uh, I think he would say he's a voice for liberty. He represents the libertarian point of view, uh, something that's got a lot of attention lately um, in the political climate we're in. Uh, there's a, It's got a long history and a lot of philosophies, a very interesting thing, and it's it's the kind of thing where I believe that it's where a lot of people would fall if they paid attention. That's where most people would claim, or people that I tend to hang around with or know. The people I encounter, I believe, would come down on this side of it if they really thought through the issue. So I always find it compelling. So I want to just take this chance, and I love doing this podcast because I get to talk to people. It's like being a life for me can be like a master class. I get to learn and engage with people that I find interesting. And today, that's Jason Stapleton. So I hope you'll enjoy this time we spend together, about an hour or something. Jason, I'll try not to keep you longer than that. You're in Kansas City, so you're in a later time zone. Um, so thank you for doing this. Uh, you bet. Yeah, I just I got back from a jujitsu class, so I'm uh, I got a ball cap on, so you nice. don't see my sweaty head. But um, I, I it's fine. It's it's great to be here. Thanks so much. 
Good, good. And that's quite a setup for your home studio, I might, <laughs> I might add. You're, well, I built this one first before the other oh, one that, that, makes you, that you've seen. So this was this was the starter setup before before we built it out at my office. So uh, <laughs> it makes it nice for stuff like this when I got to do a late night interview or an evening mm-hmm. interview. Absolutely. Uh, because we still got something that looks halfway decent. Absolutely. So I uh, heard your show yesterday, the day before, something like that. And you're talking about being in the DMV. Which I thought was hilarious because I had just I was I had just come home from the DMV myself, yeah. Which is just it's just an obnoxious experience altogether. I was there about an hour and a half just to renew my license. I have a flight to catch in the morning, and I forgot that my birthday was two days ago and my license expired. Had to go, so I had to go down there and get the copy. And man, is that a rough place? Like, and I think what's interesting about the DMV is that it really is a slice of life. Like you think about going to airports and places where you might typically be and you don't, and you think that's what people are really like. But if you go to the DMV, that is a slice of where you live. Yeah, you know you, what I mean? That's see, the way people really yeah. are. You get to see a different class of character right. down there. Because you don't yeah. think of yourself typically as a higher class person, but you know, everybody has to go to the DMV. So it's you know, it's not just the people that you would encounter. So it's yeah, you like, get a real slice of who people are there. I've I've never thought of myself as as uppity. I mean, I, I grew up in southwest Kansas on a farm and and I still, you know, I still carry that with me. Uh, even though I, I've had a little bit of success in my life and uh, you know, I, I don't it, that's never that never really enters my mind that uh, uh, but when you go to the DMV I was I think I was telling a, a story about uh, a guy you know you see those guys who got who uh, you've watched the videos of like the elephant man and the guy who's got from India or mm-hmm. from the, you know some jungle somewhere with some weird growth growing out of his head <laughs> and you're just like man in, in a first world country that kind of stuff would never happen you would never but, see stuff like that because he'd go to a doctor and somebody fix that up. And, uh, and man, I was down at the DMV and some guy was just, he was covered in what looked like boils from head to toe. And I felt terrible about, for the guy, but at the same time, I'm thinking, man, how does, how does that happen in, uh, cause obviously that that's gotta be treatable. At least I would think it would be. Mm-hmm. So it was just, you, you, that's stuff you don't expect to see. And, uh, and more importantly, it's the government. So you, you got, right. it's, it's never works right. So you, you're exactly, always exactly. behind the, behind the ball. And they've, they've set up a thing now where you take a number mm-hmm. and your two hour wait, they'll text you. So they haven't actually become more efficient they're just giving you the chance to escape, whereas yeah. before you had to stay there for the two hours. Now you can run away. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's probably the quintessential example of a government thing run poorly. Just no incentive whatsoever for it to be good or efficient. There was a sign wait here to be served. I was thinking, serve, serving. Are you serving me? Is that? Re- I mean, if so, it surely doesn't seem like it. You don't seem to have that attitude, like an like an incentive based or you know company or whatsoever. And it, it, well, I thought it was pretty crazy. Well, like, they get they got you by the neck because you don't have a choice. You you have to go there. It's like having a restaurant where you have to go to eat. You have to. It's like yeah, yeah. we're we're gonna serve you here. It's like no no, you're the only game in town, <laughs> and I I have to feed myself. My license was fifty four dollars, and I I was kind of amazed it wasn't two hundred fifty because what what could I do about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why not? Why not? It'll get there eventually. But I think that's a good example of a kind of thing that uh, if you think about the government run stuff, it's always, it it just, you know, I I know a lot of people uh, in in the music, I was thinking about this, I was listening to an interview with somebody else that I'm going to have on the podcast in the future who is a Swedish uh, 
a musician and he's totally the opposite and i he's somebody i really like and really respect and he's very socialist and even calls himself a communist and stuff and i when i listen to him talk i think well some of the stuff you're saying makes sense but to me nothing's ever made more sense than let the market fix everything it really does seem to be the the way to solve problems it's not to me it doesn't seem like just uh, a, a preference. It actually seems like the best, most logical way to allow problems to solve themselves. It's always seemed well, that way to me. No, I, and I think you're right. I think w- what I tell people is, is, is there is we have a clear indication of what happens when you take the ideas of, say, socialism and communism to their natural conclusion. When you try mm-hmm. and implement those types of societies, it it rubs against human nature to say that we're going to all work for you mm-hmm. know for the good of our neighbor that that just simply it p- human beings are not like that we none of us want to believe that we're greedy or that you know that we're mm-hmm. self-centered but right. in truth we really all are that's that's part of human nature and one of the beautiful things about capitalism is that it when you put the profit incentive in there and when each man is responsible for providing for himself the only way for you to earn money ethically is to create value for someone else. Mm-hmm. That's what capitalism is. Now, you can do it unethically by screwing people over or by hurting them, and that's why we have some command and controls in place in, in government uh, and in the law, or what, uh, you know, what, what Bastiat would, would refer to as the law, and that takes care, tries to take care of and eliminate as much of that as, as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. But I, would, I talk to people and I say, listen, you, you show me, a, which socialism has been tried, ca- uh, communism has been tried multiple times. Show me a time when it worked. Right. Show me a time when everyone was lifted out of poverty and everyone lived better and people were richer and fuller. Mm-hmm. Never in human history has that been the case. Yeah, maybe outside of a, a micro level, twenty people here or there, or a family. Yeah, and, you know, like you know, on a small scale, true. perhaps hundred people. Maybe you could do it. You can you know? have there. There have been cases of communal societies where people are allowed to come in and live collectively, mm-hmm. and as long as people are allowed to come in and leave, what you see is you see a lot of through traffic in those communities. So those communities survive because people come in. They live for a while, and then they leave, and new people come in. There's, if there's, a, there's a chance for you to leave. In the event that you don't have that opportunity, which is what happens in a communist or a socialist society, what you see is everyone's in the wagon, and nobody's pulling the cart, mm-hmm. which means everybody's on the government dole, working for the government, sitting on their butts, taking a handout, expecting the other guy to do the work, uh, and and in the end, it, everybody everybody runs into poverty. Yeah. And so that's unfortunately the utopia doesn't exist. And I think a lot of libertarians on on my side of the aisle have a view of of a libertarian utopia that I don't think will exist either. I mm-hmm. think the happy medium is somewhere in between. Well, you know, I think it's uh it's it's easy to poke holes at capitalism because it's real prominent now. For instance, for people to say to to, to point at some of the flaws when certainly there are some and cases of, of individuals and exploitation and stuff like that it's really easy to point to the one percent this or wall street this and un- certainly there's unethical behavior and drawbacks even to this system but of course there's going to be at this level and on the scale you know what i mean so of course you can find think points to push back on if you want to well there is there is absolutely no perfect system mm-hmm. in the world but what what i try and impart on people is that there has there is no better system devised by man to lift more people out of poverty to create more wealth and more prosperity for more people mm-hmm. than the capitalist system and when people try and poke 
holes in capitalism. They say, hey, well, look at this. Look at the banking collapse. Look at, look at the housing bubble. When we dig into that, what we find is most of that is the fault of government. Government mm-hmm. removing risk from the free market. Government engaging to try and mm-hmm. get more home ownership or to shift the risk away from the banks onto some other third party. And when you do that, when you mess with the free market, you tend to get very negative results. That's what we're seeing now in the economy. Our little it's unintended con- consequence, I'm sure, a lot absolutely, of times. Absolutely, absolutely. And that is not to say that absent government there would be no problems because that certainly isn't the case either. But again, I go, I harp back on the, on, on the fact that we have never devised a plan more effective at lifting people out of poverty and creating more wealth for more people and more mm-hmm. freedom and liberty than the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. There is no better solution. It's and so- if someone comes up with one, if someone can show me one, then I'm absolutely happy. And one of the things I love about libertarianism is we get a chance to try all that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the libertarian society that says you can't live in a socialist commune as long as it's voluntary. True. And that gives you the opportunity to try all of these things and to see what works. I, I, I don't believe that I have all of the answers. I just know what works best right now. And, and so and, far, if nothing else. I mean, we've got a long way to go as this human project unfolds, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree. The, yeah. the thing that's interesting about it is it, it seems to harness what is a bad side of human nature and you turn it to a positive. Like the net result of everybody individually being greedy uh, cancels out a lot of wrongdoing and levels the playing field in a way. So you're actually taking what what you could deem to be a negative quality about humanity and use it for a positive. That's the interesting thing about it. Yeah, and, and a lot of, you, you used the term greedy, and I used it earlier, and I, I think that one could, could classify it as that. We're, I'm reminded of the original Wall Street movie where you said mm-hmm. greed is good. What we're really talking about is individuals pursuing their own self-interest, mm-hmm. looking out for themselves and their own self-interest, and as long as they don't harm someone else in the process of that, the only way they're going to achieve success in their life is by providing value to someone else. You know, you uh, we've spoken before, and, and we've spoken uh, you know, off off air. One of the most incredible statements I ever heard from a business owner, and it's helped shape me in 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 my businesses. He says, "Every ethical dollar earned is a byproduct of value creation," mm-hmm. and that's exactly what I've tried to do in every one of my businesses. Is I've tried to find a way to increase pe- the value that I can provide to people, and it's amazing how well it works. It's mm-hmm. amazing what you can do if you learn how to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm very into that mindset now. So it's interesting to me because you've done for for your background for people that don't know, you've done a lot of different stuff. You've been military. I believe you were a police officer at some point. I was for about two years. Something like that. And then have found your way into investing and now into podcasting and entertainment, I would say. And so, yeah, so your point of view is well-rounded. You know, you've worked for essentially the government before. You know what I mean? You've seen different sides of things. You've you've done investing. You understand mm-hmm. economics and and human nature pretty well. So that to me rounds out your your point of view. That and I think that means a lot for somebody to have a uh, nuanced and uh, large uh, amount of experiences to pull from to to expo exposit these types of philosophies. So so well, that's. I knew eventually all my wasted, you know, all of my, all these jobs that I did bouncing around would serve some mm-hmm. higher purpose. And, yeah. and it was, you know, I, I've done everything from scrub trailers to work as a, a private military contractor in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I, I've done the full gamut. And you're right. What it does is, I don't know that it, 
what it does is it provides me kind of a unique perspective because if we're going to talk about foreign policy and we're going to talk about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, well, I lived there for five years. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about the military? I was in a special operations unit with them. I was in a sniper unit and I was in an infantry unit. I've I've done all of that. If you want to talk about investing and economics, uh, I was a professional currency trader and I now have a, a, a company that teaches people how to trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, when you talk about all these different things, I've got at least a piece of it that I can, a personal anecdote or, or, or I mm-hmm. come from it from a very personal relationship because I've been there and I've done it. And so I think that that's been an advantage to me as, as we talk about these issues and I share ideas with people. Yeah, I think so too. Um, what is, what is the, uh, what's the foundation? Do you, would you call it a philosophy like what binds the libertarian point of view is it a philosophy it's not it's not exactly a political party it does i mean it is but the, even that doesn't seem cohesive to me so yeah, what what is, the, is a, the, the the binding principle that is a really great question the the binding idea a foundation of libertarianism is uh is non-aggression Okay. Which means that I have a right to live my life as I see fit as long as I don't prevent you from doing the same thing. As long as I don't harm you, as long as I don't, uh, I don't use force against you, then we should both be able to coexist. And we should be able to choose to cooperate with each other or compete with one another. And I break it down for people. I say uh, there are five basic principles of liberty. They are limited government, individualism, peace, tolerance, and free markets. Hmm. And if every individual would adhere to and would question in every decision they make, in every position they take on politics or on economics, they would just ask, does this, does this fit into, how does this fit into the five principles of liberty? So if we're going to talk about, for example, uh, the minimum weight, raising the minimum wage, right? Should, a, should the government be able to tell a business owner how much he has to pay a worker or should that be a decision between the worker and the employer? Mm -hmm. Well, as a libertarian, we would say the government has no place dictating to the employer what a worker should be paid. Right. This is that, that falls into free markets and, uh, and, and limited government. So those, and when we talk about foreign policy or going to war, should we be out there bombing cities and, and, and spreading, uh, spreading violence across the world? No, a libertarian would say our responsibility is to protect liberty here at home. Non-aggression in that defensive military. Yeah, mm-hmm. non-aggression. So we'll defend our own and we'll fight like rabid dogs if you try and come and take what, what's ours. But we're not going to seek violence, and we're not going to to aggress against someone else. Yeah, absolutely. When you say the minimum wage, I live in Seattle here, and so we're the first one of the first places getting the fifteen dollar thing. And let me yeah. tell you, let me give you a quick anecdote here. I'm working on my garage here. I'm built, turning my uh, detached garage into a studio and an apartment and stuff like that. So I, I'm doing work here every every weekend, every free day I've got. So sometimes I'll go get some labor help down at Home Depot. You know how much uh-huh. how much they get. You know how much they won't get in my car with me to come help me dig a ditch for less than 20 an hour. So minimum right? wage be damned. It doesn't matter. The market sets that price. They're not getting <laughs> in my right. car for 12 an hour. Trust that's me, right. I offer it. I say 10 yeah. an hour, $20 an hour is what, what they get here. It's more He'll than minimum wage. The next guy and he'll pay it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, that's right. And they, and they do better than that. And, and they don't need a minimum wage protection. You know, mm-hmm. that, it, that, that 
<laughs> that sets its own own self. That they could go work at McDonald's for fifteen or less, uh, but that they certainly don't need. You know, if you're willing to work and do thing, you, anybody can get twenty dollars an hour. You could just come help me work and do what I'm doing. You know, yeah. dig a ditch or we'll run some electrical, whatever's going to be. And it's it's amazing when you when you talk about uh, what people get paid or what they should be paid. That's all based on what sort of skills you have and how in demand those skills are. Mm-hmm. That's the reason that a guy working at McDonald's makes minimum wage, and the guy who is uh, who's building a house is probably making closer to what you said about twenty dollars mm-hmm. an hour, twenty five dollars an hour, because he possesses skills that the guy running right. you know running the drive through doesn't have. That's right. And when you raise the minimum wage, what you do is prevent people who have no skills from getting into the workforce and getting on-the-job training. Yes. Because by setting the price of labor very low, what it gives is it gives those guys a chance who have no skills to at least be able to get something mm-hmm. so that they can then enter the market and learn some skills. And, and grow in their personal value and get right. out of that. It's not intended to support your family. You know, That's right. It, it, it increases their human capital. There are mm-hmm. lots of people. It, working for McDonald's, this is the amazing thing about working for places like McDonald's and Walmart, is you could start as the fry guy and end up owning McDonald's franchises. Mm-hmm. You they they have a they actually have a process that they take people through. Same thing at Walmart. You can start out as a greeter and work your all the way up to a floor to a manager of stores making, you know, six figures a year. Those opportunities are there, but they're only they, they, those those begin to disappear as you raise the minimum wage because people can't afford to get the productivity out of you they need at the at the price they're forced to pay. You know something about those five principles that you said is some of them now, and maybe this is just for the first time, but they sound like they're almost resonating with a lot of social forces. And I think that's an interesting thing in our political climate where I saw you had Dave Rubin on your show a while back, and I love Dave Rubin's show too. Um, and he, it's the, the deal is people, if you really get to it, they are, you know, can be conservative in economic ideas, but it seems like this tolerance thing, like it's not just wrapped up in Tea Party and right wing stuff. I mean, there's people that are that are cons- very conservative people that agree with this liberty, and they're all about tolerance too, and yeah. and, and thus people that are on the left and liberal people being about tolerance is really interesting because you can be th- those things are kind of converging in a way that seems like if you didn't have to conform to left or right. Democrat or Republican, you could find that you could be socially tolerant and liberal and let people do what they want to do. When you start talking that way, you sound like a some crazy liberal that's for let everybody let their freak flag fly or whatever. But really, it's a lot of conservative people that ha- hold that point of view, but they're not represented by the right. That is you know? that is the toughest sell for for me when I'm talking with conservatives and true conservatives, uh, constitutionalists, mm-hmm. is that you say, "Hey, I, I believe in in uh, in limited government." peace, tolerance, individualism, and free markets. And they say, yeah, right on. I believe in that too. And I said, well, that means that you got to let people get married if they want to get married, <laughs> yeah. regardless of who they are. Well, what's with like, that oh, though? What's the hang up there? Like yeah, what? And, and really there, there shouldn't be. Or on drugs. Same thing with drugs. It, yeah, that, that's exactly. Then you got to you say, hey, well, if, if somebody wants to destroy their body with drugs, 
and they want to sit in their basement and shoot heroin all day as long as they're not on the government dole receiving a paycheck mm -hmm. and as long as they're not getting out in a car or, 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 or walking around robbing people, they ought to be able to, nobody has a right to tell you what you can and can't do mm -hmm. with your own body. You, you know, cell phone, individualism starts with self-ownership. You own yourself. Nobody else owns you. The government doesn't own you. Your neighbor doesn't own you. You own yourself. Well, and yeah. what's funny is, is when you start to talk with them about this stuff, they're very abrasive. But the nice thing is, is that you agree on enough that you just say, well, what I try and do is say, hey, we don't have to agree on everything. I'm just going to continue to talk. You don't have to agree with me on everything. But over time, what happens is people start to wake up and they say, ah, you know what? I don't like the fact that I have mm -hmm. to do this. But in order for me to be consistent in my belief of liberty and free markets and limited government, this is something that I have to accept, that other people are going to do things that I morally am offended by. Mm -hmm. And But as long as they're not hurting anybody, hey, that's fine. It seems I, like I, a no-brainer, really. Well, I, it's like see, the easiest the thing. thing to let go of. It, like All you have to do is just... Don't worry about it. It's all you yeah. got to do. <laughs> and I talk, I, I'll, I'll take the drug thing, for example, because you could talk about prostitution and some other things. You can, you can really get into the weeds on this. But let me just say this about drugs. I hate drugs. I don't use drugs. If, if you came to me and said, hey, Jason, I'm thinking about trying heroin. Um, a lot of guys are doing it. Seems like, seems like the thing to do. I would do everything I could to try and convince you not to do the drugs. Mm -hmm. And if you came to me after you were already using and you wanted to get off of them, I'd do everything I could to try and help you get off because it's, it is a, it is a destructive force in our country and it destroys lives. It destroys families. There's nothing good about it. But that's the best I can do. That's the extent I can go to. I can't force you to not do it. Right. When I force, try and force you to not do it, when I try and intervene in the free market, what do we get? We get a massive drug trade and violence mm -hmm. in the same way we had during Prohibition. We get massive amounts of money going to cartels and violence and people dying, and you still get the drug use. Right. Now we have a massive incarceration system where we're putting these people in prison. Mm -hmm. Many of them nonviolent offenders, and that's costing us billions and billions of dollars a year. None of it good, it's all a, yeah. because we tried to infect the free market. We tried to legislate morality. It's amazing to me how much money and effort and our people are willing to to put into something that doesn't actually affect them, just to legislate or force their morals to, to stop other people from doing something. That's a yeah. really bizarre thing to me. And I think an easy thing to let go, but I do think it's moving that direction. I think more and more people are going to understand that message about our prison system and the drug war and uh, you know all, all of those things. I think people are starting to kind of wake up. I think their conservatives, one at a time, are coming this way. And maybe with the regressive left, as people would call them, being so overly progressive or whatever that is, I think those people are kind of defecting t toward this maybe one at a time. That's, that's what kind of what I hope. You know what's been really nice is this the, the, the crash of 2007, 2008 um, really got people dialed into the, the economic scene and where people didn't understand what a Federal Reserve was and, the, and they, they really had no interest in monetary policy. You are seeing a lot of people now um, paying a lot more attention to that, and they at least understand that there's a Federal Reserve and that mm -hmm. there's money printing and and, or, and they're bond buying and all of this stuff. And it makes it easier because a lot of what I talk about is trying to explain economic principles to people mm -hmm. uh, because it, that is one of the most misunderstood concepts, and it's also one of the easiest things to understand uh, if you're willing to listen and, and work a little bit at it. And people, uh, one of the 
I get a lot of comments from people who, who listen to my show. And one of the biggest things they like is when we talk about economics, because I've spent years teaching people how to read charts and, and how to how to trade in the markets. And so I've, I've established some kind of examples and, and ways to, to deliver the message that I think is more effective than some. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's exciting because these people are coming in and they really want to know about this stuff, whether they're progressive or whether they're conservative, because it's not, I don't just preach to the choir. My job is to go out and find people who, uh, who are predisposed, who are unhappy with the current situation and try and share with them why that is and how you fix it. And so we get a lot of people who are hardcore, you know, Christian conservatives and, uh, and, and some progressives as well who come in and, and they start to listen. And it's been a really great experience of seeing those people come to a point where they start to awesome. recognize, hey, the reason I'm getting screwed is not because of the other political party. It's because my government continues to destroy uh, the value of my money and my <laughs> savings and continues to you know screw with my ability to get a job or get a raise. And you start to talk about that stuff and the, eye, the light bulb goes off. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, we're really all on the same team here. We agree yes, on right. 90% of what we of what we're fighting over. We're fighting over the 10%. Let's come together on what we agree on and try and make some real change. Well, we're seeing it crumble a little bit, which is to me, it's interesting. I probably, well, I'll get into this in a second, but let's do some real world examples just to really make rubber meet road here. We we won't spend a lot of time on each of these, but I want to really paint the picture of how can you think about the idea of liberty and limited government when it comes to stuff like roads. How how are we going to do roads, Mr. Big Shot, if the government didn't do it? Well, that's that's. Do we need them for that, or I mean, what do we need the government for? I'm going to ask you yeah. a few different things. You tell me. So on on, on the issue of roads, um, there's always a lot of discussion on who's going to build the roads. The easiest one is to say, in in theory, and again, I don't like to play in theory because there, you know, it's always subjective. But in theory, you could have a road system similar to the toll road system that we have in America today where you pay based on how many axles you have, and that's mm-hmm. how, how you decide how much you have to pay to drive on the road. And we've got enough technology today that it really wouldn't be that hard. Cover, per mile, already, yeah. Yeah, governments are right. already trying to figure out a way to track it by mile and to tax you that way. I am, I, I, no, it doesn't matter whether the government does it or whether individual companies do it or individuals themselves do it. If they build the roads, if you're going to drive on those, there has to be upkeep there. So while I am always and and in every case against taxation, I am in favor of a user fee. You know, whatever it costs mm-hmm. to maintain a road, it, it should, you know, should be allowed to. And the more the private, should, the, the better. Yeah, but, but. The, and the the problem, the, the thing with private is private is always run more efficiently than government mm-hmm. just because of the incentives. Right. So if the government could run something more efficiently, there's no reason that they couldn't do it. Uh, but I think you'll find in most cases that they're going to be beat out by some uh, uh, industrious young lad who decides to start a company and is interested in trying to maximize his returns mm-hmm. by providing the highest quality product for the cheapest price. And so in that, in that event, what you find is government can never compete with the private sector. How about national parks? Aren't you glad that we blocked them off and didn't let developers eat them all up or, or no? Don't we need the government to do that? I don't think that, no, I don't think we do. I think you see a lot of, uh, a lot of private land that's owned by individuals that's being used right now for things like uh, the Boy Scouts. There is a massive retreat, huge amounts of acreage out there that's free and open to the public that's been run by, uh, that's owned by a private company, was originally owned by an individual and is now owned by a company. 
And one of the, the, the downsides, again, of having government run things is you see the government coming in and buying up land just to hold it. So they buy up the land and then they tell the farmers who were using grazing rights for cattle and mm -hmm. things on adjoining lands that they can no longer do that and fining them for burning grass and, and all kinds of other things. So they're forcing farmers and ranchers to sell uh, their land to the government by just simply impeding their ability to, to grow their crops or to, or to feed their cattle. And so government is not... The, the, the idea... The idea for most people is that government is, they're the protector, that they are the ones mm -hmm. that are there, they, they protect the little guy, and in fact, they, they rarely ever do that. In most cases, government is, runs, is run like any other corporation. They're run on greed, they run on, uh, on trying to promote themselves and the people who work there, try and promote their own self-interest. They do their best to get reelected. And what we see more often than not is government becomes a tyranny, not a support. And that's what we find in, in, many, of the, in many of the parks and, and a lot of the land that the BLM's been buying up. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. How about this one? Space program. Yeah, you know, that's the one everybody goes to. And here's all I would say about the space program. There have been a lot of really creative things that have come out of the space program. What I would suggest is that had they gone to private companies, and now they really are and starting to it do It is happening now, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is happening because they're, they're starting to realize, hey, it, these other companies are doing it far more efficiently than we are. Um, had private companies been left with the cash, if you hadn't taxed the money away that they then used for NASA, I think what you would find is you'd find a lot more companies coming up with a lot more ingenious ways to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not that NASA is necessarily bad. Um, but what it comes down to is, this is the question that your listeners have to ask. Is it acceptable for me to rob you as long as I do good things with the money? So forced can I, forced can wealth I, transfer. Yeah. Can, can I steal from you as long as I do it to create some ingenious stuff out of the space program? Mm -hmm. if, it's, if, that, if, your, if your listeners really believe that, have them send me their addresses. Because I will happily come and rob them and do, and really, do really good stuff with, with money. I'll do, I'll do awesome <laughs> stuff with the money. I promise yeah. you, don't worry about it. You can forget about it after I've stolen it from yeah. you. And if an individual can't do it, then the government can't do it. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the big problem is that there are lots of great things that the government tries to do with good intentions. But they're doing it with stolen money. But then there's and, some stuff. I mean, we need them for some stuff, right? Like, oh, it, well, for instance, how about this? Let's hype up that example. From Based on what I'm reading, we've got about six months until this planet's uninhabitable because of climate change. So <laughs> right. we, we, might, we might need to get in gear and have them solve the problem. I'm being facetious. But what about something uh, like, isn't there some stuff that only a disinterested third-party government could solve for global or national good? What would those um, things be? Yeah, I, I can't. The one that I tax have everybody seventy percent because we got to get to Mars because the asteroid's coming. I mean, what about that? What about that? I mean, seriously, I'd pay eighty percent tax if you could save human race and get us to Mars. Well, Do we I need think you you probably would, and I probably would mm -hmm. if that was if that was what it took. And uh, I probably wouldn't pay it to government. I'd probably pay it to somebody like Elon Musk, who's got a much better mm -hmm. chance of coming up with some uh, ingenious, low cost way to get me to Mars if that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. um, there are very few things that the government. Does well. The one thing, and libertarians disagree with me on this, the one thing I have yet to figure out how to do 
uh, without some sort of involuntary taxation is national defense. Um, because there is no incentive for anyone to provide for national defense voluntarily yeah. uh, on a massive scale. Now, that doesn't mean that the taxation for national defense is any less, uh, I guess, any less objectionable. But I would be, I'm, I'm in favor of trying a lot of things that I think have a low chance of being successful to try and find a way to do it. And I think for me, what it comes down to is in every decision that government makes and in every decision that I make or that my elected representative makes, the question that I ask is, does this take me closer towards liberty? Does this make me freer and, and give me more opportunity? Or does this take me on a road towards tyranny because typically in every decision that is made in every bill that is passed there will be a net win or loss that takes us either closer to liberty or closer to tyranny and i'm looking for people in government who in every who in every situation ask is it going to take us closer to liberty or tyranny and always choose liberty and there are a few people in Congress and in the Senate who are doing that. And, uh, and it's very exciting to see more and more people stepping up and, and joining their ranks. Last one on this. What do you think about patents and intellectual property? Do we need that protect? Like that one gets weird for me because yeah, you know the, the libertarians a lot. I I had a uh, I had a debate on my show a while back with a with a guy um, who uh, who's an intellectual property lawyer. This is what I would say about co patents, copyrights, and all that stuff. I think that it is reasonable if someone writes a book that they should have some protection against someone just copying that book and reselling it. Mm -hmm. um, once they've purchased it, they ought to be able to do whatever they want to with it for that copy of the book. So if they want to give it to a friend or something like that, it's theirs. They own it. They've purchased it. Um, and I cannot find a logical reason why you wouldn't allow that. Uh, also, things like the the patents that you get for drugs. Yeah, that's a you know, big one. Yeah, like yeah, one of the one of the things people complain about is that hey, these patents protect these companies, and then they up their they they charge triple the amount that it actually should cost, or or and I don't know how they find that arbitrary number, but they say oh they jack the prices up on everybody. Well, one of the reasons drug prices are so high is because the government makes it so difficult for you to get a drug out to the market. It's going to take them ten years and a billion dollars to get any. New New drug out on the market. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they covet the patents that they do have. Yeah. And be, because they're, it's not easy. It's not, it's not cheap to bring something to market. And so I think if you got government out of that business and made it easier for people to bring drugs to market and, and allowed people who were dying to take experimental medication, uh, I think you'd see those prices come down on their own. But I do think that if someone goes to the work and expends the money, that they have a right to what they've created. If, if you own yourself, then you also own the byproduct of your work. Now, libertarians will disagree with me on that. There's a host of them, and, and I don't want to get into that philosophical argument with mm -hmm. you. But um, that's the position that I hold, is that, yes, there, there is some, some call for that. All right, now I'm going to do a little confession here and see if, I can, see if you can help me work through this, see if you think I'm crazy or I'm right. So far, I've sounded like I'm probably on your side of everything. But given my point of view, which is I may lean toward utilitarian or uh, maybe even anarchist in some way. I just, I've never participated in politics. I've never registered to vote. I've never voted. I always, I've always known that the government is dumb and it doesn't matter. You know, I've lived through a bunch of presidents and that ain't 
it's always the same. There's always a, even when they say the economy's terrible, uh, there's always a line at Best Buy people buying TVs. I mean, to me right. in my life, and I've I, you know I've seen it go up and down and left and right and all this stuff. I don't know any difference, and I'm positive that it doesn't matter. And I never care. I never even participated in politics before. I like libertarianism because it's an interesting thought experiment and it just makes sense and i like to use my brain i like to learn and think and that's the only reason i'm even really interested in that i have no intention of voting or support i, I still don't um i'm not political i'd like to say that i'm politically agnostic is what the term i use i just i mean maybe there's a right answer but how would anybody know and how, even if you did know what could you do um do you find that approach wrong-headed because it, it seems like we agree on almost everything Except for yeah, no. your outcome is now we've got work to do, and mine is well, yeah. it doesn't matter anyway. No, I, I don't. I don't think you're wrongheaded to to make a decision not to engage in in the political process. Um, I I do think that it's here's what I would say. I think that because there are a large number of people like you who have very libertarian leanings, but who are who are just so disenfranchised with the entire process that they don't engage. One of the things is the enemy is engaging. The, the radical progressive left is using the government to strip away the liberties that you enjoy and that you hold dear. Mm -hmm. And the only way for you to combat that is to do it in the same arena. You have to get into the same octagon that they're in. You, you, you cannot evade that. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to convince more people to do is to say, hey, look, you know, you, you have a chance to vote uh, you know, to protect yourself. And yeah. I want more people like you standing up and, and having a voice and, and spending some time talking about this stuff and converting other people and convincing them to get off their butts and go out and, and let their voice be heard. And I don't care. I, like I said, I don't care whether you vote libertarian or, or if you just write a name in, uh, I just want you to be counted. I want you to be counted as, as that silent majority that is now becoming active so that people know and understand that they have to pay attention to you and what you want. Mm -hmm. And if we can get enough people who will do that, we can start to turn the tide. We can bring the left back from the brink of their progressive or regressive, as mm -hmm. you've said, uh, uh, leanings. And you can also tilt the, the scales back from what's become a, a very non-conservative Republican Party and bring it back to a constitutional roots that, uh, that we all want to see. Right. So... That's my only critique, is that I, I believe that you ought to be able to do whatever you want to, but I do think that you're, you're doing yourself a disservice by, by not getting out and at least engaging in the political process. Well, it, you know, a lot of people abhor my point of view and say, you can't say a word, you can't complain if you don't vote. I don't agree with that. I actually take not participating as a form of expression. Yeah. Also, I will color it with the fact that, you know what, I think this country's badass, I love it, and I actually support whoever wins any election. I never hear anybody say that, but in my opinion, the system is democracy, people vote, everybody knows how it works, and it's more complicated than simply voting, but the right guy technically always wins and thus should be supported. So a not-my-president point of view, to me, is anti-democratic. It's just saying I should have chosen the president, not... You know, this guy won. Obama won. He's the president. I think he's awesome. Well, you're, you're good close. for him. We're, we're, we're close on that. <laughs> I, I have always said uh, we're, if you, where you stand with liberty, I will stand with you. I don't mm -hmm. care what political party you're with. Where mm -hmm. you stand on the side of liberty, you'll find a friend in me. Where you deviate from that, you'll find an enemy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like I said, I am, I am deadly serious about my, about my belief and my approach for freedom and, and, and self-ownership. And when you try and take my money, when you try and take my freedoms or my liberties away, I will fight you like a rabid dog. Um, I'll do it on the air. I'll do it politically. I will, I will, I'll, I'm, I'm working on trying to build an army of listeners who believe that and who want to see change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think we're, we're doing a good job. So like I said, I, I'm not concerned with political party. I could care less. I just care about the decisions that you're making and, and the agenda that you're pushing. But it's making, there's a, st- and I feel almost vindicated at this point because there's a lot of discourse about, uh, you know, there's the whole thing of, are you throwing your vote away if you vote for them? Or if you throw, if you vote for them, you're throwing your vote away. It, it, all the stuff, it, third parties throwing your vote away. A vote for Trump, a non-vote is a vote for Trump or Hillary, whatever all that stuff is. But there's more and more people that are kind of coming around to right now what I think is kind of what I've been saying forever. Like, this stuff is goofy. It doesn't matter. Participating with it, you know, there's almost a more awakening of people saying that. And I don't know if it is votes cast for Gary Johnson or a third party that are the solution, but I do like the growing noise of people uh, identifying the problems with the mainstream, which is kind of where I always, I feel that way about mainstream television. I feel yeah. exactly the same. It's, it's Lowest common denominator, stupid. Uh, you know, it has to be the way it is because of the way it is. But it's not the good stuff. Big Bang Theory is not good. Republicans are not good. The Big Bang Theory, the TV show. I mean, for an example, yeah, like, right. it's I'm not waiting. a good show. It's just the yeah. only way you could have a show that can get that many people. Uh, maybe those are for the people, like I said earlier, at the DMV. They love that show. I get it. But right. you have to be that broad and silly to to even you know to to c- try to control everybody to to try to have that low of a common denominator. So I'm glad to hear some shifting around. But for me, I feel good about disengaging but nonetheless i think it's very important to say i support our country i like it i love it i'm i will support obama i'll su- i'll support donald trump if he wins i'll say well, he's the president he won through our system that everybody says they love so he he won correctly that's the right guy for the job right if he wins through democracy isn't that what should have happened? Isn't that the system? <laughs> to, to complain no. against it if he were to win if, means if you're not for hand, the system, right? Well, if we if we all if we decide to vote ourselves into slavery collectively <laughs> by a majority rule, is that the right decision? I, I would I would disagree with that. I would well, say it. Just because someone was elected by the majority doesn't mean that that's the way the world should have turned out. It may have been a bad decision, but it's still the, that's the is the setup of the system. I, under, I understand. So your I position. feel I feel patriotic in a sense when I that in in even my position. I, I don't feel, I don't feel anti USA. That's what I'm saying. I don't, no, and, and I'm and curious for you. I don't yeah, think yeah, you do either. Even though you could spend a, hours talking about how the government sucks, that does not mean you don't love our country or even think it's the best one, right? And that is a very important distinction that you're making. There is that when you attack the government, you are not attacking the country. You you yes. are not because I'm extremely patriotic. Like I said, I I, I was in the Marines. Uh, I worked overseas. Um, I I have a, a deep love for this country, uh, and uh, and and what it was, what its intent was, which was a place where you could live free. Seems like and a good where idea. You had a voice in your own government, and and you were a citizen, not a not a servant. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I, I think that our government is very slowly becoming a, a more tyrannical and uh, and and less hospitable place to live. But I, I don't want my attacks of government or or my my frustration. 
to be seen as being anti-American. And there mm-hmm. are a lot of libertarians, if you go in, into the wrong forums, where you will just hear anti-American hate speech all day long. And yep. that's not at all the message that I am trying to convey. Mm-hmm. This is still one of the greatest nations on earth. People still flood here from all over the world to try and create a better life for themselves. And it is still a place where if you are willing to work hard and risk that you can achieve anything you want out of life. Uh, and the important thing is that we keep it that way and we continue to expand opportunities for people to do that. Mm-hmm. But you feel like that is being threatened. And then, on the, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but you also seem to feel that that is being threatened. And even economically, we could be cruising for a bruising, so to speak. And maybe, you know, we have to worry about that stuff. Can you tell me in a brief way, like, you think based on your expertise in economics that we're, in trouble, like there's a pending collapse. That's almost the sense I get out of you. And if so, wouldn't wouldn't enough people like? Wouldn't we know? Wouldn't other people know that? You seem pretty <laughs> confident about that. And if, yeah. if so, wouldn't that reflect in behavior of the people that were in the know? Yeah, well, it, wouldn't there it be should, a tip off there yeah, somewhere? It's, it's tough to t- to take that in in a uh, in a quick soundbite. But let me just say this: uh, first of all, impending can mean a lot of things. I am not suggesting that next week we're going to see a major stock market collapse and everything's going to fall apart. And I try and preface that because I don't want to sound like a doomsdayer. Right. Uh, one of the things about economics is, is that you can look out on the horizon and you can see all the things that are going wrong, but timing is very, very difficult because it requires that you un- that you know what the catalyst is going to be that causes people to shift their buying habits and to become concerned Mm -hmm. and erratic in their behavior. And we just don't know that. And so I can look out on the horizon right now and I can see interest rates at record low levels and in some cases negative. Uh, the, The Europe has negative interest rates. Japan has negative interest rates. Some of the Scandinavian countries have negative interest rates. And in a study of over 5,000 years of economic history and interest rate history, there has never in those 5,000 years been a time when interest rates were negative. Those negative interest rates are putting a pinch on banks because banks do not have any money and central banks are requiring that they keep more cash on hand if for in case there's another downturn. Uh-huh. And so people are realizing that all of these low interest rates are not a really good idea, and so they are not spending and companies are not borrowing. So what little money could be made by the banks by issuing loans, they're not able to do because nobody wants the money. And so what they're asking for now, the, the, the central banks, what they're trying to do is they're trying to stimulate the economy mm-hmm. through low interest rates, and it just hasn't worked. So the next phase of this, what you're going to see is uh, countries just simply printing money and handing it out. And they'll find a way to do it that's a little less, I guess, uh, a little more diplomatic than dropping it out of a helicopter. But essentially, that's what will ha- happen. Inflation, then. In tr- they're going to try and get inflation to mm-hmm. come back. And I think it, the, the way this game ends with the $20 trillion in debt and money falling out of the sky and banks in a pinch, you're going to see really high interest rates. It, is gonna, it will eventually wipe out the savings of most of America. And because we do so much globally, it's likely to have effects all the way around oh, the world. Oh, for sure. And so I'm deeply, deeply concerned about it. So our money's less safe and just invested in indexes and stocks. That's yeah, a, not it, a secure place right now, in your opinion. Not in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been banging up. If you want to get tech, we've been banging up at uh, eighteen 
thousand right. eighteen five on the Dow, and right. then it keeps dropping off. Nobody wants to buy, but nobody's ready to sell. Yeah. One of the reasons you continue to see the stock market go up right now is you've got actual sovereign purchasing of of U.S. companies. So you've got, uh, for example, Switzerland is printing money, and they're printing that money to buy U.S. companies. And so they're buying stock on the stock market, and that's why you keep seeing the stock market go up. Ah, it's not because people are buying. People are withdrawing their money out of the stock market to the tune of billions of dollars a year. But they're holding the stock market up, central banks are, by printing money and then buying U.S. companies with it. Crazy. That's going to end badly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what is it? Is it another 50% decline? Is it an 80% decline? I don't have any idea. A- that's pretty doom and gloom, an 80% decline. I mean, that would be something. Well, we had, I mean, the last... The last bubble was a 50% decline. Mm -hmm. And if you look back over the last five bubbles that we've had, every single time they've gotten worse and they've gotten bigger. But unless you were retiring within 18 months of that and you just can stick it out, it's been fine, right? Yeah, except the problem is young people don't have any money, so they're not invested. So Mm -hmm. the people who are in the the know, who who are invested, uh, are retirees. They're people who are in their... 40s, yeah. 50s, and 60s. Yeah. There are folks who are who are in the next 10 to 15 years going to be looking at retiring. Sure. Um, and the problem is people ask me, well, what's the solution? Unfortunately, because of the way that the central banks and the government have orchestrated this fiasco, there are very few opportunities mm-hmm. and, and options for you. Well, you know, everybody talks about gold, but gold is a wealth protector. It's not something that you're going to use to grow your wealth. Yeah, it's just a... a, a safeguard to some That's degree right. to limit your losses. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I mean, if it's I, I, uh, personally, I am heavy in cash. I'm in gold and silver and I'm in real estate. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I've got my money right now. I do not have any, I do not have any significant cash in the stock market right now. Well, I'll tell you one way out of it that I know you'll agree with is investment in your personal skills. Absolutely. Now that, that I'm so into that, like, you know, I'm 37 years old. I've just been doing this podcasting and communication stuff for a while. It's, I take it seriously. I work hard at it. Um, you know, this is a weird example, but like, I know that I can learn new skills and be more valuable. So I'm taking an improv class starting next month. So I just will be more free. I can speak better. It'll cost me a few hundred bucks and I have to go on Monday nights and do that. It's definitely going to help me. And I, uh, I'm paying some people and spending extra time on research because I do podcasts. So sometimes I have people send me articles and say, I want to learn this. So in a self-directed way, I'm having, I'm learning, um, I'm learning what I want to learn, I'm not going to college anymore or anything like that. And I'm going to continue. If I did those two things, if I, for five years, think of where I'll be. If I did right. self spent $40 a week on a research assistant and take acting, improv, communication classes and focus on that, think about five years from now. I'm, I'm not that great at this now. I will be in five years. I mm-hmm. will. And then yeah. there'll be more opportunities from there and, and things like that. So that, if anything, if you, you know, if you can really invest in yourself and same thing with investing, you can invest in companies, but why don't you invest your time and your effort in your company? What are you well, going to do? That's what, that's totally where I'm at with everything. And I, that, you know, nothing's recession proof, but some, your, who you are and your value, that is the best thing you can invest in, I would think. Yeah, you you can repre- repre- I'm sorry, uh, recession proof yourself. That is something <laughs> that you can do by by learning as many skills as possible and and being competent in those skills. 
you know, you're talking about you're you're doing a podcast right now. You got mm-hmm. video going. I know you got an assistant there who's who's helping you out to make sure the feed is running well. That's a skill in and of itself. It's, it takes an incredible amount of work to understand how video works and, and and how you pump it out over the internet and how you get the microphones working mm-hmm. right and the transitions, the back and forth. That's a skill. Um, when I first started my company, uh, Trade Empowered, which is the company that teaches traders. Um, one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to be one of the first people in our space to do real video, not mm-hmm. like screen capture video of charts, but actual pictures of me teaching stuff on whiteboards because that was something that the internet marketing community was doing, but it hadn't yet reached the trading, the online trading community. And so I wanted to be out in front of that. So we made an investment and now, man, I After Effects, Adobe Premiere, Adobe Audition, you know, audio, right video, special effects, all of that. I know how to do that. And it's because I invested time and I grew a skill. Um, it's the same thing with trading. When I wanted to learn how to trade, I didn't know how to do it. And like you said, most people, they look at things. You, successful people look at, a, like you said, a 10 to 20-year time horizon. People who are poor tend to look at a, at a, at a two-week to two-month time <laughs> right. horizon. Yeah. Right, so if they can't get something out of it in two months, they don't even bother trying. And this is not just because they're poor, because there was a time in my life when I had a $40 credit card bill, I couldn't make the minimum payment on mm-hmm. it. But there's a difference between being broke and being poor. Being broke is temporary. Right. Being poor is a state of mind. It's a state of mind totally. that, that looks out only two weeks or two months. Totally. I mean, Whereas, that's easy to illustrate yeah. because t- take anybody who's rich and take their money away. Not anybody. Most people who are rich that acquired their wealth take their money away. They'll be fine. They'll make more. If, if take anybody that's away, poor and with that mindset and give them a bunch of money or the lottery, they'll be poor again. I'm going to tell you, yeah, and that's that's that is a proven fact. I can guarantee you, if I if I lost my businesses, if my podcast went belly up, and and I was left with nothing, uh, I might have to downsize my life a little bit. But I guarantee you, I wouldn't be there long, right? Because I I've I've learned enough skills, and I'm continuing to learn enough that I'll come right back. And it may take me another five years or 10 years to get back to where I am now, but uh, I'm going to do it a lot quicker than I did it the last Absolutely. time. I now have all those skills. hundred percent. That That's exactly yeah. right. So you, so you, do you love podcasting? Are you into this? You know, is it, uh, what do you like so much about it? Do you use it as a vehicle? Or are you really enjoying this whole thing? Of, is it, do you even think of it as entertainment? Or are you just purely focused on that message getting out? Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's, I am an entertainer first. Okay. Uh, one of the things I understand about, about any sort of media is that entertainment is the number one reason people tune in. Um, they, they like to hear me talk about stuff and they like to hear this, the, me banter about economics and complain about government. But in reality, it's the entertainment that keeps everybody coming back. So I do have an underlying mission, but I understand the necessity of being entertaining first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And uh, in terms of podcasting, I think it is an incredible new media that we are in on on really a ground floor of. I mean, podcasting can go back all the way to 2005, but it really didn't start to get hot until about 2012. Right. So we're only a few years into this media. And like you're doing, video and audio, and there's no gatekeepers here. Not um, yet, at least. Not yet. They're coming yeah, they're for it, right? Just, <laughs> yeah, that's right. There will be, and that's why guys like us who are really who are really making a a drive right now to get our listener base up yep. and to establish ourselves, we're going to be able to weather the storms as uh, as those gatekeepers try and put up roadblocks. Yeah. Um. And uh, and I just, you know, I really like 
sharing my ideas with people. And one of the things people don't know about me is that if you met me out of camera, um, I'm very reserved. I, I'm, I'm an introvert. I, I don't like big crowds of people. I, I don't like chit chat. Um, I'm, I'm very different when I'm not in front of the camera. Um, but when I, something about being here behind the microphone and just being free to say what I want to say mm -hmm. and to talk about what I want to talk about, and then to have that, to have that reinforced by people telling me just how excited they are that they found somebody who's speaking what they've always believed or that they're learning something new and, and mm -hmm. that they're just so appreciative of the time you put in, man, that's great. And then, you know, the money's not bad either to see, to see some of the money come in and, and to see it prosper financially is good too. Well, yeah. And that's amazing because you do five days a week, which is my dream. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, uh, I do I do a lot of stuff. I do a lot of other things, but I'd like to get to where I'm doing a, a show every single day. Do it in the morning, get up, prepare. I just love the art of that, and I love the art of doing it live. Is is yeah. I started doing it in the bedroom, looking at the wall, and then editing and figuring stuff out. But you know, to do the thing live and, and have that skill is that's that's where it's at now. And you speak about the freedom of it, of being able to say whatever you want to, and that's not for a lot of people. A lot of people are just concerned how they're perceived or whatever. But I get such a kick out of doing stuff myself or saying things that other people may or may not find obnoxious and I find it a, a form of respect that I am going to say what I think or, or to mix it up with some other people and get some wild ideas out there and respect the audience enough to let them take it however they don't have to hate me and they don't they may just think that was silly I am okay with that and I get a really big kick out of that and you're right there's something different that happens on camera let me give you an example Jason this you might think this is funny or you may not but um it, it is there's some art form to this uh and you just have to understand that so I was listening to your podcast uh yesterday so you took a break came back from the break and then you came back from your break with complaining about how when you go on somebody else's podcast, you got to fill out this form, <laughs> this paperwork, and stuff like that. You were talking about this show, and you were complaining about the way I had you set up your Skype call and fill out some info that I wanted you to fill out to do a good job with the interview. And I was like, what? He's insulting me now? Is he saying that? Am I, uh, what am I, maybe I should cancel on this. But I, I, then I thought about a second. I said, wait a second. That's awesome. That is so cool that he said that, that he was feeling that, that he thought that. I'm not going to take offense to that. And you probably have a good point now that I think about it, of you know what, what you were complaining about. But I thought that was the funniest thing in the world that I was preparing for this interview and then heard you essentially criticizing me, which I could this, handle it all day long. I, I, in fact, appreciate it, but I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> First of all, that was something that I was, I, it was in the middle of the show and I was like, yeah, I got to fill this form out. <laughs> and, uh, and I really hate filling out. Form I hear you. I don't lie about that. But that th I th I saw that more as a as a just be between you and me and your audience yeah. and then probably my audience when I share this uh, this interview with them, you know a lot of what I do because people send me notes they're like oh you're so arrogant oh you're you know you always talk about yourself and and a lot of that is part of me delivering mm -hmm. the the character of who I am because like right. I said I'm very introverted it's when I get behind the microphone so people know I don't like filling out forms they know I don't like having to do you know petty stuff right. that I have other people who do that stuff for me. So that kind of fit right in Absolutely. with, with, and, with and my I, persona. And I get that. I had to take one second to say, is this a personal insult? Wait, wait a second. This is Jason. He's doing his show. And even if it's no matter what, I don't think, I think you really meant what you said. That's okay. Just because you say it. I mean, that's totally well, I, fine. Yeah, like I get right that. Now, I hate filling out forms. Yeah. 
So I just got a really big kick out of that because that is the thing. I am glad for people to be able to speak their mind and say it and do it in this medium. And I just I wanted to tell you that I thought that was funny. Like what an well, interesting situation to be able to to hear that. Like I was. I don't know. I thought it was great. I loved I'm it. Glad that you did, I'm glad you didn't cancel, and I'm glad you didn't take too much offense to it because after we, we I've been on your show one time before. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I think you're a great guy, and I love what you're doing, and uh, and I'm glad that you didn't take it. You didn't take it too harsh. No, you can't. You can't. There's a lot of uptight people out there, but I, I am certainly not one of them. Um, plus, I'm always down to learn and figure it out. Now, I do have a lot of people uh, when I book them. It'll be their publicist filling it out or something like that, and sure. that tool does help us stay organized. But probably a good point with somebody they don't have any point of connection with or whatever that to make them jump through a couple of hoops may not be the best idea so i do i do receive that i want to let you know um where, where what do you think about the the generation we've got coming up the millennials i've got a little bit of a theory that they might not be so bad after all i think they you know are in their adolescent stage and i'm going to do a lot of more thinking about that in the future but i wonder what what is your thought on the the new the generation the 20 year olds out there right now you know, I think every every generation looks at the generation that follows them right. and says that they got no respect mm-hmm. and they got no work ethic. And I remember when I was standing up, get graduating from the boot camp in the Marines, uh, the guy who was graduating us made a comment about how, you know, they say that this generation doesn't care and they don't have a work ethic. Well, look at these young men, you know, something like that. So people were saying it. They said it about my generation. I was watching, uh, oh, what was it? I was watching uh, the Andy Griffith show. And from the 50s, and they made some comment about how kids these days, meaning kids in the 50s, don't have, uh, don't have any respect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so I think that that's just a natural progression. I do think that these kids are going to be in for a rude awakening when they hit the real world. Uh, I do think that we have sheltered, we've taken a generation of kids and we have sheltered them to the point that they don't really know how to deal with rejection. They don't know how to deal with conflict. Because every time that has come up, there's been a safe space or there has been a teacher or someone there to tell them that they don't have to engage in that. And, uh, you know, that's part of life. Uh, One of the nice things about being in the Marines is, hey, I have rhino skin. You can say anything to me. Right. And, you know, it's I'll forget about you tomorrow. Um, You know, and forget about it. I don't hold grudges. I just I don't do any of that stuff. And I do think that the young people today are going to have a problem when they get out into the real world and they realize that, hey, all that protection that they had, that life is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I think the criticisms of the generation may be apt. They, they may be, but I think they may in time be overshadowed by the unbelievable breakthroughs they make as the first generation that came up with the technology, internet, communication, and information that we didn't have, you and I didn't have growing up. And I always urge people that are my age, you, you can't just write these this stuff off. That you know, these younger people and the way they're interacting with stuff and technology and stuff like that, you've got to lean into it. As much as you want to go, oh, I'm not doing the Snapchat whatever it is you have right. you you have to keep up because it's going to progress faster than it's ever progressed and you're going to be the most people that graduated high school in 97 like me they're going to be lost soon when yeah. when all shopping's online they're like oh, i'm not doing that online stuff they're going to be in huge trouble way more than my grandma and my dad are you know from the yeah, amount of technology they, that pre- progresses when you're 65 yeah. you're, you're going to be in the worst trouble ever that's ever been seen because it's going to come and go so you owe it to pay attention to this new generation stick with it see what they're doing it's going to matter and it might be amazing 
it, we just we're just seeing the downsides of it because they're in their adolescence right now. They're they're twenty years old. I was dumb when I was twenty two. Yeah, they so might be amazing I. when they're forty. You know. Yeah. And, well, and here's another thing that you got to consider is that the vast majority of people in this world are, are going to settle for some level of mediocrity between total failure and their true potential. Mm-hmm. And this, the, the, the millennial generation is going to have their Einstein. They're going to have their Elon Musk uh, and their Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys exist in that. In the, in the, and like you said, the technology is just going to provide them all kinds of new opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the question is, will our country... Uh, give them the opportunity to pursue that and to create the way that their ancestors were allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is really the, the pressing issue. If I can just wrap it right back around to politics one more time, I think that that they're the biggest threat to those people, the ones who really are the doers and the changers, is the government getting in their way and, and making it difficult for them to succeed. Well... <laughs> If we bring it back to politics, and I didn't want to spend a lot of time on Trump, Clinton, Gary Johnson, what, what do you think about Gary Johnson? It seems that you don't that you feel like libertarian itself is split, and people say maybe he's not even a true libertarian. But is that still the way to go? Where are we at? What What are people supposed to do if that is yeah, the way I, they land? I think that I think that if you think Gary's your guy, that you ought to vote for him. I think if, if you find enough things acceptable to him, uh, of him, uh, and uh, that uh, that that you think he's the best choice, given the three that are there, or the four, I guess, because you've got the Green Party too, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got a Constitution Party with I think it's Daryl Castle. Um, but I would I, that, that those that's kind of the main parties. Uh, I think you you cast your vote for Gary Johnson. I think. Again, going back to what we talked about before, Gary Johnson isn't going to be president. Neither is uh, uh, Daryl Castle or or Stein. Stein, I think, is Jill Stein. Is mm-hmm. that her name? Yeah, I've heard that name. Uh, for the Green Party. Uh, th- none of those guys are going to be president. But when you cast your vote by casting it for a third party or for a write-in, you get counted. Who do and you think or, will be the... Who do you think w- wins it? I think Trump wins it. Wow. And who do you think is the worst possible person to win it? Who's the most dangerous person that you would like to see win at the least, in your opinion? Donald, uh, Donald. Well, here's the thing. Donald Trump is probably the worst because I don't. He's an he's an unknown element. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton is a is a is a game player. She and her husband Bill uh, have been in politics from the beginning. They're not radicals. They least just, da- less dangerous, just more of the profit same. Profit seekers. Yeah. yeah, they they they've turned the government into into their own personal piggy bank. And I think if the worst thing that would happen during a Clinton administration would be that she enriches herself even more, uh, I think we've done pretty well because I I don't both Trump and Clinton I think are horrible choices. Um, but I think the more dangerous of the two has to be has to be Trump because people just don't know what he's really going to do or right. who he really is. Yeah, and because it's like uh, yeah, I've heard you say, it, it's not based on principle. That's what I like about this. No, this not. your point of view is it is based on principle. So win or lose, like you know, defecting your vote and v- voting for Hillary to save Trump. That's not voting or thinking on principle. It's just being reactionary and tossed by the, the climate. But what uh, what makes you think Trump's going to win? If you can say that quickly, I'll let you go. Yeah, I can. I, you can look at some of this. Number one, number one, every, everyone doesn't think he's going to win, um, and and he's been counted out the entire time. But what I really pay attention to is the number of crowds that he can, the people who come out to his crowds. You know, Clinton has trouble putting a couple of hundred people at an mm-hmm. event. Uh, Trump is filling stadiums. Right. 
when you can, what this comes down to, because there's so little voter turnout in American elections anyway, it really comes out to, uh, to who can get the vote out, who can get people up off the couch and out to their polling station. And there is nothing inspiring at all about Hillary Clinton. She's like a wet rag. She is the Democrats' version of Mitt Romney, mm-hmm. right? There, there's, not, there's no pizzazz there. There's no snap. She's everything that Donald Trump is not. Donald Trump is engaging. He's abrasive. He's, he's motivating. He's shocking. He's everything that you need to get people motivated and out to vote. And, and you can see it in the people who show up to be at his events. I think he is going to win handedly Wow, based on what That's I've insane. seen. Here. Well, see, I, I don't know. I mean, it looks like the polls and stats aren't supporting that yet, but I think he's got a ton of work to do and knows what that work is, though. I feel like he's got a good plan. And what's to stop him right now? Just this is, If I had to make a prediction, what if he starts at maybe in the next few weeks, makes a pretty hard turn toward becoming uh, uh, flip-flops and starts going super liberal on stuff? What does he have to lose? There's still people. Yeah. It's not like he could become more liberal, and then the people on the right are going to jump over him to vote for Hillary Clinton. He'll still be right of her, even if he starts hardcore going like abandoning his positions on immigration and the wall. If he comes out and says the wall is not a great idea, maybe we won't do that. I tell you what, I've been wrong about that. Even if he, even if he made a, some hard turns, the people that support him, what are they going to do? Like, yeah, you so know what I mean? And he could start winning more people that way. So I think he's yeah. probably got some tricks up his sleeve yet. I think what what most people don't understand is it doesn't matter whether he goes wh- whether he becomes a, a a liberal and he starts and, and he walks a bunch of stuff back and he flip flops or not that's that's not going to make any difference. His his policy decisions are really irrelevant at this point. Um, what he has to do is he has to stay in a in a mode where he motivates that base. Every it's about time the Republic, yeah, every okay. time the Republicans have failed, they have failed to respect and uh, the the base of them of the movement and trump has a base built around building a wall um protecting america he's got a very nationalist populist message i don't like it but it it is resonating with his base Mm -hmm. as long as he doesn't move away from that he's going to be fine um the second he tries to soften himself to try and win progressives or try and win in in, uh independence He's going to lose. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It'll be interesting to watch play out. So yeah. I don't know. But I appreciate your time today, Jason. If you said you were going to share this with your audience, I appreciate that. If uh, And I don't necessarily think your audience would be into what I typically do because it is not this. I'm a musician. I play in a band called Emory, and I do a couple of podcasts. One is about alternative uh, viewpoints on Christianity. It's called Bad Christian Podcast. And then this one, I talk to musicians and get really in-depth and do technical stuff. And then every other week, I talk to something that's just personal interest. Uh, I'm going to talk to a guy that developed self-driving cars. And I'm into a bunch of sciencey and technical and thought kind of thing. So I'm going to do that every other week. So I don't know that your audience would be super into that, but I hope they could, anybody could listen to this episode and it would function somewhat as a primer for, for liberty and principle and thinking this way. Cause I find it very interesting. I think a lot of people will too. Look, I think this is a this is a great episode. I think you run a great show, and uh, and I'm absolutely going to share it with the guys because I think that, uh, like I said, a lot of the young new libertarians will get a lot out of it, and a lot of the people who uh, 
who are on the fence about it might uh, might get something out of it too. So uh, I'm I'm glad you had me on. I really appreciate it, and uh, and I'm I wish you every success in life. Absolutely, I, your show's doing great. I continue to see it grow, and good luck to that. It's a it's a it's awesome. I love exploring this new territory, being out there, and I hope you're right. I hope this medium and independent communication, and you know, I come from music, so it's all DIY, do it yourself, punk. Punk, yeah. that, that's where I come from and this is the same thing it's happened again I love being in the thick of it and I, I like to you know meet and talk to other people that get it so appreciate it Jason that's great thanks so much alright yeah hello and welcome to Novel Conversations a podcast about the world's greatest stories I'm your host Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations I talk to two readers about one book and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.